listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Rexa, what a pass to Anders. McCain follows. Doyle branch fires, he converts. Rhymes again. Tough shot. Pull up three in transition for Angela Harris. Jerome says not tonight, not in Houston. Presented by Clutch City Control, your home for all things Houston Hoops. I'm one of your hosts, Tamer Knight, and you can find me on Twitter at T Sports. And I'm your second host. My name is Andy Yanez, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ayanez underscore five. And be sure to follow the official Clutch City Control Room account at Clutch CDCR, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. Andy and I have a very special guest on this week's episode of Pod Slamma Jamma. We have Matt Thomas from Sports Talk 790. Matt Thomas, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thanks for inviting me on here. Can you just talk a little about who you are so our guests can kind of get to know you for those who may not already know? Are you telling me that people in Houston don't know who I am? This is um, already an ego bruise so early on in this conversation. <laughs> All right. Uh, first and foremost, I am a proud uh, University of Houston graduate. I uh, was the class of 1998. I should have graduated a lot sooner, but I was working full-time in radio, so I went to school part-time. I kind of flipped my organizational path. So I should have been class of 94 or 95, but it took like six hours, nine hours, six hours here. So finally, in the spring of 98, I got my degree. Um, and so I've always been very, very close to all things University of Houston, uh, I am an unabashed supporter of theirs, probably the biggest homer on Houston sports radio concerning the Cougars. And so I'm okay with that because I'm an alum. I have been uh, in the marketplace working uh, either behind the scenes or on the microphone since about uh, late July of 1991. Uh, I've been here all but five years. I moved to Salt Lake City for a couple of years to become the announcer for the University of Utah. And then I took another job in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul for three years before coming back to Houston. So I came, I started in Houston and went 1991 to 2005 and then came back to Houston in 2010. And I've been here ever since. I do a daily radio show between noon and three on Sports Talk 790. And then I also am the arena announcer for the Houston Rockets at their home games inside the Toyota Center when we have home games. And then I also do the radio play-by-play when the Rockets are the road team. So I have uh, a variety of different jobs. Plus, I am the uh, pregame host for the University of Houston football broadcast. So uh, it keeps me connected with the school. Uh, but, yeah, I keep quite busy. And as a matter of fact, as we record this tonight, uh, I'm also doing an Astros pre- and post-game show. I just finished the pregame show, and I'll be doing the post-game show once the Astros and A's game is completed. I have to say, you said you received that degree in 1998. I was a mere four years old whenever you got your degree. All right, uh, Andy, I want questions from you only the rest of the way. <laughs> Matt, uh, it might not be better for me. I wasn't even born yet in 1998. Okay, I'm hanging up on both of you. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if you mentioned um, how you did play-by-play -play at one point for the Houston Cougar basketball team. Is that true? I was, yeah. I did. I uh, had a chance to uh, get the University of Houston play-by-play -play job uh, 
it had to have been probably 2003, somewhere in that range. I did it for three seasons. It was the first year that Kelvin was the uh, was the coach, and it was the last year uh, of of uh, oh, um, Coach Dickey, James Dickey. And then the Rockets came to me and said, hey, we want you to be uh, the arena announcer for the Rockets again. I had done it in the 1990s when they'd won their two championships. And I said, well, that's really cool, but I love doing play-by-play. That's my biggest passion. And they said, why don't we uh, tell you that Bill Worrell is going to cut his schedule back and that we need somebody to do the radio play-by-play for the road game so you could do the PA at home and the play-by-play on the road. So I kind of get the best of both worlds because I do love doing the PA inside the Toyota Center, but I also have a great passion for play-by-play. So it's kind of a perfect scenario with the Rockets. Speaking of the Rockets, did you can we talk a little bit about their performance so far in the playoffs? What are your thoughts? And then we can, maybe we can give you ours. Mm. I would definitely want to hear yours. Um, I have been – I was beyond impressed with what they did, obviously, in game one. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, how strange is the NBA world that you go from the brink of elimination in a game with Oklahoma City where you could have lost the game if not for a James Harden block to beat the tar out of the Los Angeles Lakers in the first game. And then the Lakers come back at you hard – early in that game, fall behind by 20, make that up and then some, and then obviously I think frankly just ran out of gas. Uh, So all things considered, I hope this is a nice long series. I really want the Rockets to win. Uh, They have done enough for me to believe this will not be a piece of cake if the Lakers survive, and I think the Rockets have just as good a chance of winning the series as the Lakers, despite the fact that obviously Anthony Davis and and LeBron James are, are two fantastic basketball players. Yeah, well, just listening to what uh, Rockets Twitter has had to say um, after the game yesterday and today in the morning, th- there's a lot of confidence with them. Uh, just really, they, they're counting on Markeith Morris and Kyle Kuzma and Rondo to kind of fall back down from their production. I know they had uh, really good games yesterday. And then um, when it comes to the Rockets, obviously Russell Westbrook struggled uh, tremendously on Sunday as well. So just Matt, uh, really, what, what do you see what, from a Russell Westbrook? Like, I know people are kind of, whenever he has a bad game, they start bashing his, his fit with the Rockets, but I think it's a little interesting. It's not, not as clear as how he fits with this Rockets team. I, you know, I'll be honest with you guys. I don't think it's a question of fit. I think it's a question of which Russell Westbrook shows up. I mean, if anybody's watched him over the years, you know that there are nights where he takes over a game and is the most electrifying player on the court. And then there are other nights where he'll turn the ball over three times in about 90 seconds and he drives you crazy. So, you know, I don't think this is a question of does he fit with Jeff Green and James Harden and Eric Gordon on the floor. I think it's which Russ is going to show up and will he be disciplined enough not to take those three-point shots, which he's just been terrible at really for most of his career. What he does best is attack the lane, find the extra pass, like the Rockets have done so much so far in this series. But just the worst rust, the crazy rust, is the one that just has those needless turnovers, and it's the crazy rust that takes the shots uh, you know, that are outside his comfort zone. So, if, you know, and I look, I, I'm a huge Russell Westbrook fan. I just – if he never took a three-point shot again, I wouldn't be disappointed. You took those words right out of my mouth. I was just going to say, I don't think he's a bad fit for the Rockets. It's just a matter of us him having his breakout game since he returned from his injury. Because I personally don't think he's played like that aggressive, um, high-end Russell Westbrook just yet um, in these last few games. 
Yeah, I think he was really good in game seven against Oklahoma City. Um, I think he's determined. I, you know, I, he, you know, he's chasing a ring just like James is. So they both have a lot to prove. And to be honest with you, uh, you know, the Lakers don't scare me like the Clippers scare me. Uh, either neither one of the two teams scare me like Golden State did. And obviously that was a, that was a dynasty in the making. So uh, to tell you the truth, it's about low turnovers. It's about good shot selection. It's about making the extra pass. And it doesn't have to be Russ by himself. It doesn't have to be James by himself. We've already seen this so far in the series. Eric Gordon's been fantastic. Daniel House has found a spot. Robert Covington's three-point shot is back. So nobody in this basketball team, and I know that a lot of it goes on James and Russ because they make as much money as they do, but, you know, there are going to be times where the Rockets don't have to get 30 points from each one of those two guys to win a game. It'd be nice if they did, but they've got some people around them. And, and the question's going to be, you know, when the who takes the shot at the most opportune time and the clutch time when it's needed? And I think the answer to that clearly is James Harden. And I think Russ has to understand that because, again, James is just – they're both awesome players, but if there's a finisher among the two of them, especially from the outside, it's more so James than it is Russ. Now, you want to take Russ inside the lane, he's fantastic too. Uh, but, you know, James is the same way too. So I, I, think, I think it's a pick your poison. I just – it bothers me and it would bother the Rockets when those turnovers start to pile up like they did very early in the game in game two. I know you, you do PA for the Rockets. And the question I have for you is like, what does it feel like to, to have to do PA? I know you, you were doing the game whenever they played the Spurs in 2017 in the playoffs when they just oh, yeah. got, uh, how, how was that experience like? Cause the Rockets uh, were getting run out the gym in game six and like just having that energy, keeping that. Energy. I, I have, I have already erased that game from my mind. Um, it was – I'll just leave it nice and simple. It was very sobering because, you know, they were down so much and they they looked so lethargic that anything I tried to do to get the crowd going, they didn't buy into it because there was really no chance of the Rockets or didn't uh, put together any sort of run to make it a, a highly competitive game. You kept trying to get the crowd going in the Western Finals against Golden State when the Rockets couldn't hit a three because you kept thinking to yourself, well, at some point they're going to hit a three. And then – it took them, you know, almost 30 shots to do so. But, yeah, that San Antonio game was a game that it, that will live in infamy, unfortunately, for all the wrong reasons. And I think that's one of the games that if James could scrub from his record of, of games, and that, and that was not only just James, but the entire team, that would be one on the, on the short list for sure. All right, Matt Thomas, I just got to ask, what's your prediction for the Lakers-Rockets series? Well, the homer in me says Rockets win it in seven, so I'll, I'll keep it at that. Um, I, I'm going to tell you all a little something. You never find team employees that will predict the other team to win. Um, you would never find Robert Ford, the voice of the Astros, saying, well, you know, I think the A's got a great chance in this one. You would never expect Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans, to say, yeah, I think the Chiefs are two touchdowns better than the Texans. So, uh, but I'm such, I've been such a fan of the Rockets before I joined the team. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to give you a uh, unbiased thought. I'm going to tell you that what I saw in game one, I think it repeat itself. And I don't want to see what happened in game two when they fell behind so quickly. If they don't, if they do that and I can avoid that, I think it's a, it's a coin flip. And I would tell you probably the Lakers side would, would probably, probably feel the exact same way. I would love to see the Rockets make it in seven. I just think they're going to have to come with that momentum from game one consistently. Um, I don't think there's any room here for errors as there were with OKC because the last thing we want to do is let the Lakers get up three games and now they have to fight a little harder to, you know, uh, close that gap. But speaking of a diehard fan, 
you have to be a diehard fan of the Cougars since you are a proud alumni. So mm -hmm. we're going to talk a little bit about the Houston Cougars basketball program. Um, we know you've done a little bit of play-by-play. -play. Again, you're a fan. So just tell us your thoughts so far on the program in this day and age, you know, with head coach Kelvin Sampson um, and his recruiting and, you know, what he's done with the program. You know, he's been able to recruit all over the country. He's been able to recruit Houston. I, I got to tell you something. Uh, James Dickey, I was telling you about him a little while ago. He was telling me, he'd say, Matt, you know, we can't recruit kids to, uh, from the city of Houston to, to the University of Houston because they know what the facilities are like. They know what Hoffines Pavilion looks like. I, if I try to go recruit a kid from Oklahoma or from Tennessee or from New York State that haven't, come, that haven't never come down here, they don't know that the building was old and decrepit and out of touch with all the other fancy facilities. So I knew that when Kelvin took the job, that everything was going to change because he had been used to that at Indiana. He had been used to that, obviously, at Oklahoma. So it was a progressive move. It was a guy in, in Kelvin that was looking for a, a chance to reinvigorate his career. He had been an assistant coach the last handful of years around the NBA and most notably with the Rockets. But he still had the itch to run his own program. So it was a perfect fit. It's a family affair. His son's on the staff. His wife's at every game. His, his daughter is uh, with their marketing department. So it's just a perfect fit. And no matter how positive he is, no matter what he can coach, you have to have facilities. And having the Guy B. Lewis Development Center and having the Fertitta Center now available to him makes this, I think, and I'm not saying this because I'm just a homer, I'm telling you it's reality, will make this program – I think top one or two in the state of Texas for the foreseeable future, because the facilities are top notch and you can bring kids in that are talented from the Houston area and show them this facility where you couldn't do that five or six years ago. So you add great coaching, you add amazing uh, facilities and the fact that the university of Houston, so many kids want to stay close to home. It just feels like a perfect fit. Perfect fit indeed. Have you been able to go to the Procedure Center and enjoy it as a fan at least so far? I have. I've gone to probably five or six games. What are you? Uh, I went. Atmosphere. Yeah. I know it's a lot different than you know. Oh my gosh! When I was going to school there, you'd be lucky to get twenty five hundred people in the building. Now, to see seven thousand there is unbelievable. I mean, it's uh, it's such a difference. I mean, the the scoreboard and the pyro and the graphics and the food options and i mean it's the place to be and there's and that's you know you gotta realize gang that hasn't happened since neither one of you were ever born i mean i remember going to hoffines pavilion when i was a kid in 1983 to watch five slamma jamma when i was 12 years old and i was lucky to sit in the very last row of the upper deck you know that was at that time the arena was top down and you got, we got a seat to see the last game of the year against Rice. And I thought I was the luckiest kid in the, in the world to be able to see Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler and Larry Michaud and Michael Young. And we've gone basically 30 years, 35 years in between that. So it was just too long of a dormant period. So you can't expect the world of college basketball fans in Houston to overnight change their philosophy about the local teams. But He's certainly done it. They've certainly done a great job. The schedule's getting better. Better teams are coming in. LSU's been in. I think there's going to be some SEC teams coming in on a regular basis. So it's everything that we thought it was going to happen did happen. You hire a quality coach. You put good kids around them. You build great facilities. 
and the rest kind of fixes itself from there. And that's why they're going to be, I think, a perennial top 20 program. New facilities, new players, and new coaches. We have more for Matt Thomas coming up in the second segment of Podslam Pajama presented by Clutch City Control Room. And we're back for the second half of Pod Slam Jamma presented by Clutch City Control Room. If you enjoyed the show, do us some favors and drop a review or leave us some stars. Matt Thomas is our guest here on this episode of Pod Slam Jamma. And Matt, we kind of talked about it in the break, but you know, my question for you was, what, what, has, what have you seen, like, how has the University of Houston changed throughout the years from when you were a student to, to now? I know you do a, you've done a couple of play-by-play for, for the Cougars yeah. in recent years. So how, uh, just the university in general. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Uh, when I do the pregame shows for the football broadcast, uh, we park in the, in the garage, which is across from the Fertitta Center, and the press box is on the other side of the stadium. So I do what they, you know, as we used to call it, the once around to kind of check out what's happening on campus. And there's great tailgating. Uh, that includes alums. That includes students. That involves colleges. I didn't have any of that because when I was going to school in the late 1990s, most of the games were at the Astrodome where you couldn't tailgate. And then you'd have a couple of games a year at Robertson stadium where it was so small and the parking lot was so tiny and the stadium was so decrepit that you didn't want to set up a tailgate. So that's the first thing. Secondly, the stadium is fantastic. Uh, It is not only great for us as for football on Saturdays, but you know, obviously the XFL decided to play there. high school games want to be played there. It's a great opportunity to raise a lot of money for the institution and for the school and for the athletic department, because it's going to be used for so many things besides just the five or six games the Cougars play on Saturdays during the season. So it is um, from the dorms to the restaurants to all the different student housing options. Uh, I wish I could take the two of you back to the 1998 because you would not believe the differences in, you know, basically 22 years. Man, it's funny because on, on Saturday, uh, you know, I don't know if you uh, I'm sure you've heard that they did a demonstration on Saturday on campus. Yeah. And, uh, Whenever we were walking, me and the media were covering it, and we, I walked past Mark Berman, and he was talking about just how different the university looked because we had to walk through the entire uh, campus. We, like, right, walked through it. He was just like, I don't remember seeing all these new buildings like we were walking by, and I just started laughing because he said, he said he went to the University of Houston in the mid-'70s. Yeah, so he's, he's much... way older than I am, so I can just <laughs> him about that. You know, it's yeah. funny because, uh, you know, Chris Pesman, the athletic director, and I are very, very close. We've been friends for decades, and – it's really weird for us because, you know, when I was getting in the business, he was getting in the business. You know, he's a couple of years older than I am. He had played, obviously, at the U of H and on special teams and whatnot. I was a backup linebacker. But because he was a part of the early traveling parties, he was learning to, to get in the athletics business. I was getting in there. So we were probably in our mid-20s, and we made some mistakes. We may have had a couple of beverages in a couple of places we shouldn't have and kind of tell stories. And now – we've come full circle. He's our athletic director and I'm a broadcaster doing games with Rockets. And one night he's at the Toyota center sitting next to Tillman Fertitta in his seats courtside. And I'm sitting in front of the microphone on my side of the court. And he texts me, he says, you believe how far we've come in 25 years. And it, it was kind of sobering. So yeah, all good things uh, come full circle. So it is such a difference, but I'm so glad that I have a relationship with the school as strong as I do. I'm glad we've got an AD who's got a strong tie to the school. Uh, And we need, you know, if we're going to take the school to the next level, both athletically and academically, 
we need to keep as many Cougars involved in the program as possible. You keep talking about, you know, some of the differences that you see between the football stadiums and the basketball arena. What, what Just what are some of those um, differences? Let's try to paint a picture for our viewers um, to see how things have changed for those who may not have been a part of the university. Well, okay. Well, TDC Stadium is about five or six years old. Um, Robertson Stadium was built in the 1930s, uh, I think. Don't, don't uh, quote me on that per se. Uh, it had no luxury boxes. It had one basic elevator on each side, old raggedy seats, um, no terrible concessions, and you know parking was kind of a hot mess in terms of where you were supposed to park and where you were supposed to. Hawthines was back good for its day back in the 70s, but was old and decrepit by probably 1995. And you know, in both cases, in both football and basketball. If you don't have amazing facilities, the kids will not give you a second look. They want the nicest locker room. They want the nicest workout areas. They want the nicest uniforms. They want the best meals. And so if there's anything that has changed, you just didn't pick the University of Houston in 1979 or 1984 because your hometown team wanted you. Everybody wants you now, and they're going to make it as, you know, as tough of a decision as is possible because – they say, you come to our school, not only will you get a great education, but we're going to treat you like royalty. So that's the one thing that has changed more than anything else. You just can't say, we're the U of H. You went to Clear Creek High School, or you went to Katy High School, or you went to Baytown Sterling. You have to say, if you want to stay in town and you want to be a great student athlete, here's what we're going to do to make that worth your while. We're going to have great tutors for you. We're going to have great class sizes. We're going to let you pick your schedule. And oh, by the way, you're going to eat three great square meals a day. You're going to have the best workout facilities. We're going to have great coaches around. They're going to be around for the long term. So that to me, the stadiums are one thing, but it's the entire package. And let's face it, guys, whether you want to admit it or not, you can bring in the best coaches in the world and you can have the nicest people that want to help you in all the ways. But if you don't attract the four and five star kids to come play on your campus, you're never going to be able to develop an athletic department that can, you know, you can brag about and, and raise funds and have good crowds. And that's what it's come down to facilities and the attraction of potentially playing pro and having coaches that are going to stick around for a long period of time. The facilities for us, obviously, I've seen I've seen them go from playing in um, HP Arena at, at Texas Southern all the way up to their doors open at the Fatima Center for the basketball program. Um, the the amount of fan and engagement from the city of Houston in the last couple of years, um, for me, it, it has been phenomenal coming from a small university. So I went to school in Corpus Christi. So for that matter, you don't see the city of Corpus Christi um, carry their teams on their back the way Houston does for the Houston Cougars. Well, you know, it's good, but it could be even better. Uh, basketball might have a chance because we have been dormant in college basketball here since, you know, five Simon Jamma. And before that it was, you know, Rice never did. So, you know, I don't know what kind of college basketball town we are, but people will find out how cool it is to watch a game with Fertitta Center, and that's how you get it. Football is going to be more difficult because the Aggies, the Longhorns have their fan bases. Texas Tech has their fan base. Baylor has their fan base. It's, you know, I don't know if there'll ever be a position where the general Joe fan is going to come watch a Cougar football game unless they have some sort of ties to U of H with the exception of one thing. If you win, when Tom Herman's team went to the Peach Bowl and beat Florida State that season, 
there were people that were going to TDECU Stadium to watch the Cougars play because they were the hottest ticket in town. They were, they were a team that were nationally recognized. They were beating teams like Oklahoma and Louisville. You know, it, that's where you have to really step it up. And, you know, being seven and five every year, maybe finishing second or third in the, athletic, in the American Athletic Conference will be okay. But that's going to basically just limit to who wants to go check that out. If you're going to get an Aggie or a Longhorn – to come into your facility and spend their money on your tickets, you're going to have to not only win a lot of games, but actually play some really good competition too. And I think the University of Houston knows that. What are your predictions um, for the future for the Houston Cougars in this 2020-2021 season, despite, you know, the pandemic? Uh, you know, it's a huge unknown at this point. Uh, you know, I love the fact that they're trying to play as many games as possible. They have 10 games already scheduled in. They'd like to get Rice as an 11th, but that's been kind of, uh, uh, you know, difficult, frankly, because Rice, I don't know what their commitment is to football this season. Uh, the conference this year predicted the con the Cougars to finish seventh. I think a lot of that is because of, of the disappointment last year. Uh, the schedule is favorable in the fact that you've got, you know, UCF coming here, which I think is always a perennial favorite. You do have to go to Cincinnati this year, which will be a tough matchup. Uh, but, you know, it comes down to, I think, frankly, if Clayton Toon can stay healthy this season, uh, they're going to be in a good spot. The running back game looks strong. I think there's always been a question mark about defense, and I don't think, you know, Dana wants to play games this year where it's, you know, 42-38, 45-41. He'd like to be able to put some pressure on, on some teams. And most importantly, when the Cougars started this rebuild a handful of years ago, uh, you know, under – uh, you know, Tom and a little bit before that with Tony and, and with uh, Kevin, it, this was a defense that was forcing a lot of turnovers. And I think the turnover battle is something the Cougars were able to use, you know, four or five years ago to their advantage to, to you know, limit possessions by the other team. And I think that's got to become a main focus, trying to figure out a way to, you know, force a fumble, get an interception, be in the right place at the right time. So that's, that's where I expect the biggest adjustment to be this year. What about for basketball? Oh, I think basketball, I think they're going to be a top 20 program year in and year out. Uh, you know, a lot of the kids that have tested the waters of, of uh, the NBA have decided to come back, which is a positive sign. It's a great thing that, they, that the NBA lets these kids do to figure out whether or not they're really worthy of being drafted. Um, but there's depth. The recruiting class has been fantastic. It always is. As a matter of fact, they got another kid today. As a matter of fact, I just saw on Twitter a minute ago. And uh, with Kelvin Sampson's long-term contract locked and loaded, you know, he's, you know, in his late 60s. I don't think he's going to be going anywhere else. There's a real sense of continuity. And that, to me, is the biggest thing for kids. They want to know that the coach that signs them is going to be there when they leave. And I think that, that Kelvin has given that kind of attitude that we are a family. We're not going anywhere. And look all the different bells and whistles we have for these kids. So I've been impressed every other time, uh, you know, going back 10 or 15 years ago, the Cougars would out, would, would, uh, grab a kid that was supposed to go to Lamar or was supposed to go to McNeese or supposed to go to, I don't know, Arkansas State. Now they're grabbing kids that were thinking about playing at Texas A&M or thinking about playing at Georgia Tech. So the teams and the schools they're competing with, with these, for these athletes have been a lot better in the last two or three years since Kelvin got there. Yeah, Matt, you just mentioned it in that commitment that the Cougars just got was uh, Robbie Arm, Arm. I'm not sure how you say it, but his name is Armbrister. I might be butchering it, but he's a six five power forward from Atlanta. And really, they're, they're getting a lot of commits recently. I know uh, another another guard just decommitted from, from Kilgore College, but uh, uh, their workouts, they, I don't know. Have you seen the video of 
Quinn Grimes dunking it, it kind of looked like he was a LeBron. I say LeBron dunk right now, it might not be the best person to choose, but his recent yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all I'll say is this. I'm very careful not to put too much stock in YouTube videos because think about this. Have you all ever seen a YouTube video of a player put his own stuff out there and he sucked? Never. <laughs> Never. Oh, oh that wouldn't happen, Matt. <laughs> That'd be like me putting a YouTube video of my radio show with me spitting out wrong facts and having grammatical errors. I don't, I'd only put the good stuff out there. So, look, um, I, I love the basketball team. It's athletic. It's got lots of Houston kids. It's got a good pipeline now here. It's going to be well coached. Coach Sampson has a history, no matter where he's coached, to be a good defensive guy. They crash the boards hard. They never quit because if they quit, coach will call a timeout and chew their ass out. And I'm okay with that. And Matt, a couple of questions for a really personal question for you. Um, you've had a lot of experience through the years. Do you have a memory that sticks out for you, like either doing play-by-play or as a PA announcer? Uh, well, I'll tell you this. The memory that gets asked that, – that people ask me about more than anything else was the 1994 NBA championship. Rockets beat the Knicks in game seven. And we celebrated the first championship the city of Houston ever had with a professional sports team. And uh, word traveled fast that the Rockets were going to have a party at, uh, well, it was called at the time Little Papa Do's, but now it's just regular Papa Do. You guys know where uh, Richmond and Kirby is, basically, that intersection there, not too far from 59? Yes. Okay. So they said, hey, we're having a party. You should come. So me and a couple other friends went to the party, and I got there, and um, all that was left to drink were bottles of champagne. So you walk in this party that was hosted by the Pappas family. This is all the Rockets are there except Akeem Olajuwon. Every other player was there except Akeem because Akeem had to do a uh, TV appearance early the next morning on the Today Show. So I'm not a heavy drinker, so I had a glass, and then basically I just drank from the bottle itself, finished off probably a bottle of champagne on my own, and proceeded to party with the Rockets in the championship trophy all night long. Well, at the time, I was a producer of a radio show on a 700, and the host's name was Dan Patrick. Now, the Dan Patrick that you see on TV, this is Dan Patrick, who's now our lieutenant governor. And I kept thinking to myself, well, I can stay here till 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, go back to my apartment, I'll get two or three hours of sleep, and the show starts at 6.30. Well, I had too much to drink. And it was two o'clock in the morning. It was three o'clock in the morning. I eventually got into my car where I'd parked my car halfway between Little Papacitos, or now Papacitos, and where Little Papados is right at that same intersection. I got in my car under no condition was I supposed to drive, and I didn't. So I proceeded to vomit terribly for about five minutes and then pass out of my car. Well, during that time, I had my paycheck and my wallet in my passenger seat. And my car door was open because I was too sick to even shut my own door. I proceeded to pass out, wake up at about 10 after 6 o'clock in the morning with my wallet and my paycheck still in my passenger seat in the same clothes I was wearing the night before the game. And I had to go to work because I had to be to work. So I got to work and my boss at the time, Dan Patrick's like, wait a minute, what are you doing wearing these clothes? You've got vomit all over your shirt. What happened? I said, well, I went to an all-night party. And I said, I just can't work today. And they said, well, okay. You don't have to work. 
as long as you come on the radio with me and do one segment of the show celebrating the championship. So they had me on. I was still hammered because, I mean, I had probably had a full bottle and then some of champagne. They teased me and teased me and teased me. Finally, my roommate at the time, who was also a coworker of mine, picked me up, took me home, got into bed immediately, passed out for four or five hours. I turned on the radio the, later that day where they're replaying the interview of me being on that morning show because people kept wanting to hear that Matt Thomas, the PA announcer, was so drunk that he came to work wearing the same clothes with vomit all over his shirt. So that is the most infamous story about me celebrating or being a part of a PA announcer for the Rockets was the party of 1994. It was certainly uh, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Fortunately, it happened twice in a lifetime, and it was something that I was obviously sick as a dog, but I'm glad I did it. I can't imagine what it must have, like, you how were terrible right. you, you guys- must have felt. You guys weren't ready for that kind of story, were you? You didn't think that would be that the story I was going to tell you about. But that's the most famous one. So awesome. It's, it sounds like you have a really, you enjoy what you do and you have a really good time when doing I do. That. I do. But now I'm much older. I'm married with three kids and I don't behave like that anymore, at least, at least publicly. Well, unless the Rockets win the third championship. Oh, you know that's right. Quick question. I know we're running out of time, but what do you, what do you feel about the Texan season? I know a lot of... A lot of off-season moves, especially with DeAndre Hopkins, the fans, the Texan fans are probably the most pessimistic fans out there, in the, at least in the NFL. What do you think about them? Well, I think everybody's pessimistic, especially after the fact that you've never been to a championship game at least in your own conference. I absolutely despised the DeAndre Hopkins trade. I still despise it. I'm happy that Deshaun Watson got his deal taken care of. I'm happy that uh, Zach Cunningham got his money and Whitney Mercer's got his money. Uh, and that they were able to sign Laramie Tunsil long-term. I just don't, and I've said this before, I'm, I do not believe that Bill O'Brien is capable of coaching a team to an, a Super Bowl. So I can't back off of that. I'm very uncertain about the running back situation. I feel better about the offensive line than I did a year ago. I'm scared to death about the secondary and all the changes there. But most importantly, You've got a bunch of receivers who have all had great careers, but they've all had one thing going against them. They've all been hurt, and that scares me about trying to worry about who could be durable over a 16-game schedule. We can't get about Deshaun Watson and a whopping $177 million deal over four years. My God, the man is paid. Oh, he's paid all right and deserves it. He just has to back it up now. The pressure on him will be tenfold, and I wish you'd have had his number one receiving threat to go to, but – it feels like to me that the Texans were not in the position and didn't want to have to pay their wide receiver and their running and their quarterback, you know, crazy kind of money. And that's the reason why that Deshaun's not there. Deshaun, I mean, excuse me, that DeAndre is not there. If DeAndre would have been able, happy with this current contract, I think he still would have been here. But he made no bones about it. I'm a top three receiver. I need to be paid like one. And when he went to the Texans and said that, Bill O'Brien said, we don't believe it to be accurate and we're going to move you. So, uh, I'll, you know, if David Johnson can be the running back that gets them a thousand yards, which, you know, again, he was, he was third team with Arizona parts of last year. Uh, I, I just don't know if he can do it, but if he can get close to it, like Carlos Hyde did last year, the Texans, the, the pain of that trade won't be nearly as, as bad as I think it's going to be. The problem is when DeAndre catches touchdowns for Arizona and gets a hundred yards and receiving every day, meanwhile, Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller are only playing a handful of snaps because of injuries that's going to make that trade 10 times worse. So I would say health is the number one thing that I'm concerned about in that wide receiving core. 
I'll tell you one thing I'm concerned about. They gave Watson 177 million, but I have hope that their offensive line can step up and protect the guy and allow him to do his job that they're paying him that amount of money. Oh, I think it's better. I, you know, I think Nick Martin's okay. I mean, Laramie Tunsil is now the highest paid left tackle in the NFL. He better act like it. And he should, he should, um, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, Max Sharping was a very good draft pick of a couple of years ago. It's not nearly as big a concern as it was for me last year when you didn't have a left tackle before the start of the season. And that's why the Texans had to overpay to go get Laramie Tunsil away from Miami. Any final thoughts for you, Matt Thomas? Um, where can our viewers find you on Twitter or? I'm on uh, Twitter at SportsMT. Uh, Instagram is at SportsMT. Um, and my show is on noon to three on 790 AM. And you can also hear me occasionally before and, Astro, before and after Astros game. So I keep quite busy this time of year. And it's strange because we're just not used to having three sports being played at the same time. And that's going to happen on Thursday when the Rockets play and the Astros play and the Texans play. It's going to be a very bizarre day. Well, thank you, Matt Thomas, again, so, so much for being a part of this with us. Um, Andy, if you want to say anything. No, Matt, uh, like Tamer said, thank you for doing this. And really, sure. you know, any time that you can give us, we really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, I listen to your radio show every now and then whenever I have time. Um, every now and then? What is it? Wait, 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 wait. Come on, Andy. I say every now and then because I have class from, from like 12 to 3 on most days. So whenever All I don't right, have well. class. Once you graduate, I need you every day, 12 to 3, okay? Oh, for sure. When you had the show in the mornings, I used to listen to it on my way to school when I was still in high school, so. Nice. You know, well, I listen to you all the time. Thanks. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Y'all call me anytime. All righty. Thank you so much again. That's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdowns, analysis, speculation, guest voices, and camaraderie of our team, please consider clicking the link in the description to check out one of our monthly Patreon subscription options. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode of Pod Slamma Jamma covering your University of Houston Cougars.